Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us. Good morning. Hope I, this message I, uh, helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. According to the, the, uh, the slide, the open house for the ark is next Monday, not tomorrow. Um, if, if that's not correct, I'm in even bigger trouble. But that's what it said, and sometimes it's easy to just throw that out there. And and uh, it really is outstanding. And uh, my my son went through it and very blessed and uh, looking at some extended hours and some different things to better meet the needs of, of families today. So I hope you will uh, consider that if you have little ones uh, to root them and ground them in, in the Word of God from the very beginning. You know, the testimony of the Bible is that we are created in God's image. Uh, that doesn't mean that somehow we physically look like God. But it does mean that in, in some of the most fundamental ways, we were created to reflect God. Scripture also points us to a God who is what we call the Trinity, or a triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that God's very nature is relational. And maybe you've thought about that, maybe you haven't. But one way that we are created in God's image is our inherent capacity and need for relationships. So when God had only created man, he knew that that wasn't the whole story. In Genesis 2.18, it says the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will, darn it. I, I, didn't, I didn't move text around like I did one other time, but it just kind of did something. Uh, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And while this passage is followed by the specific creation of a woman, of woman, it's a vivid reminder that we were created for relationships and we function best in life when we're engaged in healthy relationships or community. Now, I don't care whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. That still applies. And a portion of our passage in Acts this week that, that we're looking at shows this. Um, after Peter's powerful sermon in Acts chapter 2 on that first Pentecost, um, he showed us more of that. And, it, and it's uh, very, very powerful. So we want to take a look at that this morning. And um, I just realized what it did do. I did cut something out. Darn it. I know it. I know it. It's doing some crazy stuff. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I, we're going to get there. Don't worry. I'm not worried, but, um, I just, I do this crazy stuff sometimes. Um, after his sermon on that first Pentecost, uh, we know 3000 people came to faith in Christ and, and the author Luke, who also wrote the gospel, gives us a snapshot of how all the Christians live their lives together. And, and you cannot, when you read it, you cannot miss the relational communal aspect of it. So I want us to open our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And of course, we've been encouraging you to bring your Bible, print or digital, so you've got it with you, hold it up. All right, way to go. Print or digital, it doesn't matter. We're glad that you got it with you. And um, I want to encourage you to continue using that and, and following along. And we do have printed notes, but um, 
you can also use your own Bible and write in it. There's nothing at all wrong with that. Um, so beginning in verse 42, it says they, talking about all those who had come to faith and the original disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, what we see here in this very first verse is really four marks of the church empowered by God's Spirit. And the very first mark is the apostles' teaching. The apostles were the ones who had been with Jesus three years, who were filled with His Spirit now, whose writings would later become most of the New Testament. But we already know from Peter's sermons that what they taught was not limited to what we today call the New Testament. Sometimes Christians today want to say, I'm just interested in the New Testament. I just want to read the Gospels. I just want to read about Jesus. But that was not the Word of God that was used in the early church exclusively. The, the first Christians found that the entire Bible of their day, what we call the, also the Old Testament, pointed to Jesus, to His coming, to His ultimate mission to create a new covenant community characterized by the love of God. So the apostles' teaching included not only their experiences of Jesus and the risen Christ, as they make up what we call today the New Testament, but also all that came before His time here on earth that pointed and prepared the way for Him. To be a disciple of Jesus meant both then and now investing in God's Word on a daily basis, both in personal study but also in community study to know Jesus better. Where people ignore God's Word and the apostles' teaching, when, a, when a, a constant lifelong pattern of devotion to Scripture and its teaching is missing, people find themselves increasingly shaped by the world, by the mindset of the culture around us, by the social pressures that are, that are so pervasive around us and per, so persuasive. And often Jesus is little more than a memory. Or someone we remember only on Sunday mornings. The second mark is the fellowship or devotion to one another. This was, in other words, the common life of the Christian family. And again, often called community. There was this spiritual bond between the believers that was characterized by their faith in Jesus Christ... And their infilling by the Holy Spirit that led them to come together routinely in order to love and care for one another. It was was living life with other disciples of Jesus. And it was the norm of the early church. Not just because they liked each other. I mean, it it, it wasn't like that. Or that they were even outcast by others but because they saw it as being a fundamental expression of what it means to be the body of Christ, to live that life together. They understood that Christianity wasn't meant to be a solitary faith. Yes, it requires an individual decision on the part of each one of us. But the result of that decision has always been lived out in community, in fellowship with other believers as a family. And when this community is ignored or, or, or downplayed, believers become isolated and, and typically find it hard to sustain a living faith. 
I mean, it's not unlike the analogy of a fireplace with a log or, or a, a grill with, with charcoal. And when you remove a log or you remove the coal, yeah, at first it's, it's hot, it's red hot, it's burning. But within seconds or at least minutes, some of the fire is diminished. And often within minutes, it goes out. And that's the picture of a Christian whose life is separated from the community, from the fire of the faith. For that reason, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it, it's so significant when you look through the New Testament how often there is an expression or some variation of one another. You know, love one another, encourage, greet, serve. Instruct, forgive each other, live in harmony with. Now that's all scripture. All of that straight out of the New Testament. Okay? I, I, didn't, I didn't make that work out. That's straight out of scripture, straight out of it. Um, and, and in fact, on our website, on the Find It page, we've got a list of the one another's. If you want to go and look at that, some people even find it is a great study, to just kind of on their own, look up those passages and read how often it happens. One another. That clearly says community. The third mark was the breaking of bread, which most likely referred to communal meals where the disciples gathered to remember symbolically Jesus at the Last Supper in the upper room. Because it was in that setting that Jesus pointed to the sacrificial atoning nature of his death for his followers. He, he defined for them what was to come. In, in Luke 22, it says Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant of, in my blood, which is poured out for you. In essence, these regular gatherings of the community kept Jesus' death and resurrection at the center of their faith and lives. It was, it was the, the focus. They, they didn't overlook that. And yet, sadly, it's so easy for faith to morph into religious moralism, to a, 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 a bunch of rules, and, and, and just simply doing good. And there's nothing wrong with those inherently unless they come to define the Christian faith. And that's what is kind of a default setting so often in our culture today. If you talk to somebody outside of the church or somebody who kind of marginally grew up in the church, they often think of it in terms of rules and morals and doing good. But that's not the point. The remembrance and celebration of the Lord's Supper has always served in the church as an experience of the sacrifice Jesus made for us. Of his atoning work on the cross. It's more than doing good. Doing good is an outflow of that. It's not the reason for that. Whether it's called the Lord's Supper or, or Holy Communion or the Eucharist, which comes from a Greek word meaning thanksgiving or gratitude, 
and, and some think of it as just kind of a, a remembrance. But many others, including we here at, at Gateway, believe it's even more than that. That, that Jesus is literally present and we are in, in some mystical sense reliving that first Lord's Supper, which is why we use the term sacrament, which we see as a means of grace specifically started and instituted or commanded by Jesus himself. If you look carefully in terms of the sacraments in the Roman Catholic Church, they have what they call seven sacraments. In most Protestant churches that acknowledge sacraments, we see two. We see baptism, because Jesus said, go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see communion, because he said, do this in remembrance of me. Those two things are not negotiables. They're not something we do when it's convenient. They are commands of Jesus for us. And so we offer this sacrament at at least every first Sunday of the month following each service. Sometimes we offer it during the service itself. And as we can see from Acts, the breaking of the bread was what the disciples regularly did. It wasn't a matter of convenience. It was a symbolic reliving of Jesus' own command to his followers. And finally, the fourth mark is prayer. The early church practiced both times of gathered prayer when the whole community came together to pray, but also consistent times of individual prayer. It, it wasn't either or. It was both and. A, a lifestyle that characterized their daily journeys with Christ because it's what characterized Jesus' own life. You, you, you look to the Gospels and you see a number of times where Jesus himself had said he departed from his to go and pray. He spent the night in prayer. He prayed over this on, on the, the last night and going to the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed. The Gospels are full of these accounts. It was clearly a part of his daily lifestyle. And and what he did and modeled, the early church came to see as the norm and as a significant part of of their daily lives, both together and on their own. So the the Apostle Paul would, early on, in in probably his first letter to the Thessalonians, he wrote, pray continually. Not when it's convenient, not occasionally, not even daily. Prayer should, prayer should be almost like breathing. Something we're doing all the time. Sometimes, it's interesting, sometimes we, we pray, be with me, Lord. Okay? But here's the thing, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so are you really praying something new or different? That, that, in fact, that prayer is already fulfilled. Rather, we ought to be praying, Lord, let me be with you. And let me stay aware of your presence within me and everything I do and everywhere I go today. Do you hear the difference? To, to pray, Lord, be with me, if you're a believer, is, is already a fact. The real question is, am I with him? Am I paying attention to him? Am I 
obedient to him? Am I aware of him? Am I allowing his presence to work in me in all of those moments? Each of us is to pray continually. But again, don't overlook the value of coming together to pray for each other and for God's will to be done. Students of Christian history have have recognized that, that revival, and I don't even mean just in one church, although that's certainly part of it, but revival has only come after intense times of group and individual prayer. And, and many of you know our prayer ministry offers a, a, a prayer team every Sunday morning down here, down front. We have prayer quilts for those who have special prayer needs. Our, our prayer requests that, that we invite you to fill out in your bulletins, and if you didn't already do it, and if you have a prayer request, you can take them and drop them in the boxes as you leave, or you can send us by email or, 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 or whatever, are prayed over throughout the week. And transformational prayer, which is something newer with us, which guides individuals through a process of emotional and spiritual healing in and through the presence of Christ. And you can learn about all of our prayer ministries on our website. But ultimately, it's your praying that God's seeking as it happened in the early church. And so, Scripture goes on in verse 43 to say, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Luke says this lifestyle was so profound that, that everyone was filled with awe. And, 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 and in this community, God was doing amazing things in and through the apostles. And we still see that today as we conform our lives to God's word. Luke says all the, the believers were together, which is essentially a picture of family. It's amazing how often the family motif is found, especially throughout the, the New Testament. And, and, you know, here's the thing about family. In my family, when, when we're together, nobody asks, well, did you, who paid for the milk in the refrigerator? Can I use it even though I didn't actually pay for it? Because we're family. And, and can I sit on the couch? I didn't buy the couch. Is it okay for me to sit on it? When we're family, that's irrelevant. The money that the breadwinner earns isn't only for his or her sake. It's for the family. We're all in this together. It's not communism. Let's be really clear about that. Where the government owns everything. But when Luke writes of everything in common, it carries a sense of whatever I have is available to you too. Because we're family. You need my ladder? Here, I'm happy to share it. My vacuum cleaner broke. Can I borrow yours? How do you handle it when your child does this? I know y'all have been furloughed by the government. Here's a grocery card. My wife is having surgery tomorrow. Would you pray for her and pray for us? I'm struggling with anxiety about this. Can you help me and pray for me? In fact, they were so committed to their family, their their brothers and sisters in Christ through the Holy Spirit, that's the language often used, 
that they were willing to sacrifice what they had and be generous for the sake of others. Not because it was required, not because it was the government thing, it was because it was out of love. It says in verse 45, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. They realized that God would take care of the community through the community. And he'd already provided them what they needed to care for one another. And and later Paul would write to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 9, beginning of verse 10, he said, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Now, sometimes we think of that as financial. And yes, financial is a part of that, but it's all the resources that we have. Verse 11, yes, you will be enriched in every way. So you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem or wherever they are will be met. And they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. It will prove. See, gracious generosity was a hallmark of the early church. It just was. It's just what they did. In about 125 AD, years after Acts was written, a man named Aristides wrote the following to the Roman Emperor Hadrian on why he believed Christianity was spreading so widely. He wrote this, If one or other of them have bondmen and bondwomen or children, through love towards them, they persuade them to become Christians. And when they've done so, they call them brethren, brothers, sisters, without distinction. They do not worship strange gods, and they go their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood's not found among them, and they love one another. And from widows, they do not turn away their esteem. And they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh. In other words, by, by birth. But brethren after the spirit and in God. And whenever one of their poor passes from the world, each one of them, according to his ability, gives heed to him and, and carefully sees to his burial. And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or, or afflicted on the account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if it's possible to redeem him, they set him free. And if there's among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. I want you to hear that. Sometimes we have a very sanitized image of Christianity. A, a, A picture of as long as it's convenient for me, surely God wouldn't ask me to sacrifice. And yet, it is precisely what Jesus did. 
And it is precisely what the early church understood was their calling was to sacrifice. They believed they had been entrusted with the resources they had, not for their own sake, but for the sake of the mission of God. In whatever way that needed to be lived out, played through. Generosity was and is this powerful picture of the love of Christ for us and all. And they all did it because they knew there weren't enough pastors, there weren't enough leaders to do it all. You know, it's not like we're going we're gonna to get angry at the pastor because he, he didn't find out or she didn't find out about so-and-so being sick. But I knew and I didn't do anything. In the early church, they didn't say, oh, we got to go tell the elders. They just did it. They passed it on for the prayer. But it was the community that took care of the community. It was the responsibility of every Christian to care for the Christians in their circle. That's why small groups are so important. Because that's where real care and support and encouragement take place. Because as soon as you get past 10 or 15 people, it doesn't work if you're depending on one or two to do it for everybody. This was the picture of the early church. Now, it wasn't, though, a a prescription for sponging off of others. Because the Apostle Paul later warned those who were able to work and didn't. He, he, He said, don't help them. They can do something. If they've got the ability, if they've got the resources, but they just want to sponge off of you, then you don't have to help them. But if they don't, you do. The early church that we see in Acts made it clear that whenever there was a genuine need, whether whether physical or emotional or spiritual, that that member of the community, of of the family... Couldn't, couldn't handle or dress. They were generous and helped each other in whatever ways they needed that each could do, that each could offer, that each could share. And look, when we look at ourselves, we know we can't all do the same things. But that's why Paul painted the picture of us as the body of Christ, where we all have different gifts, we all have different abilities. And what I can't do, I mean, maybe you can Don't ask me to fix something electrical. But there are people in this congregation that it comes second nature. And when we all do our part, the community is served and it is this incredible witness. Quite simply, they loved each other. Understanding that love wasn't just a feeling. It was an action. It was choosing to accept someone for who they are and sacrificially working for their good. And because of that love, lives were being transformed. Verse 46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, notice that by by daily being 
faithful to Christ and those practices of the early church. The Lord God used them to reach more and more people and transform them through faith in Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Over the last few years, I've, I've heard some wondering or, or even believing maybe that social digital media could somehow substitute for the church and meeting together. Um, there are people who suggest that you can, you can have a complete church online. And, and I, I, I got to tell you, I, I have come to appreciate social media. It, it may not have been what my generation grew up with. We grew up with rotary telephones. And that's why some of us still hate the number zero. Because it took so long. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. That's okay. But there are things about... so. I mean, I graduated a few years ago from high school. And, and I moved away from where I grew up. And I have been able to keep in touch with some of those folks and learn things about their lives and pray for them and, and, and be a part of their life and they a part of my life that before social media didn't happen. I mean, it just didn't happen. And I've, I've seen opportunities to spread God's word, to, to pray for someone when I didn't even know there was something going on, but through social media I learned and I could, I could encourage them and, and offer scripture or pray. I could spread God's word even to people who I would never meet in person. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it, there's a lot of it that's really cool. And, and it's good. But we should not mistake it as a substitute for real face-to-face community. When we're able to get out and live life together. Because let's be honest. Social media relationships are much easier than getting together. I don't have to dress up. I don't have to shave. Or for some of you, put your makeup on. They don't have to see me. They don't have to know whether I'm, I'm lounging in my bed or I'm at work or whatever the case may be. So there's some things about it that are easy. The problem is, in real life, there's no pretending you didn't see the post. And it's a lot harder to lob a bomb or troll someone in person. It's become very easy for people to become very cynical, very skeptical, very cruel in some aspects of social media. And, and I love this morning as we were, there's a, some guys who pray with me, and, and Tom Lewis, Pastor Tom Lewis is one of them, and he, he made the comment that, we forget that life is, for the most part, mundane. And, and it's the mundane sharing of things sometimes that are the most real, the most day-to-day, that are what is real life. 
versus what you see on television or you, you're reading a book or, or whatever. You know, in television, you go, you go from here to here. And, and, and they don't show the part about driving for four hours to get there because that's boring. But that's real life. And it's the kind of life that when we do that together ultimately makes a difference. If we're not careful, though, social media can create the illusion of community while actually sort of serving as a vaccine against the real thing. And in fact, studies have shown that to be true. It's both and, not either or. There's no substitute for gathering together as the Bible encourages because we can always find excuses why we can't or, or how we can accomplish Christian community through other means. And yet out of sight, out of mind is very, very true. In Hebrews it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And then, and you might not think these two verses are connected, but then it says, let us not give up meaning together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, how do we spur one another on to, to love and good deeds Hebrews says, in part, it has to do with being together, of living life alongside each other, of hearing each other and talking this out and living it together. In a sense, God gives us the ultimate model. He didn't stay in heaven, but sent his son to be with us. And when Jesus had to leave, he sent his spirit to live in us so that we'd be able to have a continual intimate relationship, personal relationship with God. You know, we're happy to offer our services through the internet, through Facebook Live or through streaming other services. And and there's some are going to be watching this today. And we are grateful because there's some who are battling sickness. There are some that are out of town. Sometimes I read about uh, uh, some of you being in the other side of the world who are actually watching. And there are other circumstances that maybe a, a, a child is sick that keep you from coming and joining in. Yes, it's, it's a wonderful tool. It's great. But as Acts makes clear, Christianity isn't a solitary faith. It's, it's meant to be lived in community with other disciples. And therefore, it means we must come together in both worship and small group gatherings. It doesn't mean we don't offer this for those who can't. But it means it's not the substitute that some want it to be. What happens on Sundays and in small groups isn't limited to what you see online. Because when I walk through here, I'm seeing some of y'all sitting out there at the coffee shop talking. I'm seeing people harassing each other in, a, in, a, in Christian love. I don't mean that in a legal sense. Of sharing life, sharing stories, catching up what's going on during the past week, praying for one another, and so much more when we come together. It just happens. It's not like I thought about it and, and, and all, but I miss it. It doesn't happen when we don't come together. Back in the 90s, I, I encountered my very first couple who wanted me to, to marry them, who, living in different states, had met and developed their relationship over the Internet. And I got to tell you, I was super skeptical. I thought, this is bad. I don't even know if I want to talk to them, all right? Because I, I, I'm not sure I can, I can go along with this. Thankfully, 
as we all do on staff here today, we, I used back then a, a marriage inventory to help me and the couple assess their relationship. And here's the thing, the results really surprised me. Because they had spent a lot of time communicating at a distance. And, and when they got mad at each other, they couldn't do something else. They got to know each other. And in fact, they did incredibly well on the inventory. But here's the thing. They didn't say, Pastor Randy, because we have developed this wonderful relationship several hundred miles apart, when we get married, we want to keep living a hundred miles apart. What did they want to do? They wanted to live in the same house together. Heaven help us. Why did they want to do that? Because inherently they knew that the relationship needed that personal touch, that side-by-side of going through life together. And it, it may seem obvious, but it is interesting how often the Bible points to the church as the bride of Christ. Of, there is this inherent relationship. There's something about coming together physically that builds aspects of the relationship with God, with each other, that cannot happen in any other way. We, we get it when we're talking about marriage. But it's less clear when we think of the church. But the early church model was every day they continued to meet together. This was the church back then. But I believe that's God's design for the church today. Jesus created the church. He empowered it through his spirit, working through the community of faith to continue and build our loving relationship with God and with our neighbor. And this love through relationships not only defined the early church, but it also made it so attractive to those who were looking for the real thing, who were seeking real relationships. And nothing, I believe, has changed in 2,000 years. Now, admittedly, no church today is perfect. The early church wasn't perfect. As you're going to see in the video this week, in Acts chapter 5, we see some big problems were at work in the church. But in spite of its flaws, God blessed it and used it then and still today. The Spirit worked through the community then. And He is still doing that today. He is still at work. He ministers to me through you. He ministers to you through somebody sitting next to you in ways that maybe you can't even spell out. But when you're not there, when you're not coming together, it doesn't happen. God gave us the Spirit that we might be brothers and sisters in Christ, God's family. Our prayer team is going to be right down front here. If you'd like to pray with someone about this, um, hope you will as you need, as, as the Spirit moves you, or if you want to find out what it means to have the Spirit. As Betsy mentioned, it's still not too late to get involved in groups and, and in just a moment, Josh, who's already standing over there, will be doing a volunteer because serving is a way of coming together and making connections, of being the church, one with another. So if, if there's not a place that you're serving in our church, 
Maybe you need to go walk with him and just look at the options. If you're a guest with us today, I would love to say hello. I'll be out here with some friends, and we'd love to do that. Would you join me as we pray, just as the early church did? Gracious God, thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. That on the cross, he paid the price for our sins. And even as each of us has to understand that and make that decision ourselves, you do not call us to live that by ourselves. You have created the community of faith, the body of Christ, the family of God to come together, to encourage, to hold accountable, to build up, to just share life and walk alongside each other. Father, some of us, that's not, not always comfortable. Some of us are, are, are more internally focused. Some of us are more externally focused. And it, so it doesn't look the same for each one of us. But there is a, at least some aspect of it that is true for every one of us. Because we were created in your image. We were created by you. And you created us for relationship. Relationship with each other and relationship with you. Help us to live that out, Father, to be that community, to let the Spirit work in and through us for the sake of your community. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. See you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.